What's up, everyone? This is Brian Turney. Uh, just adding a disclaimer to this episode that this was actually a conversation we had with Ruth Dameron that was recorded uh, toward the beginning of June. Um, and similar to the previous episode with Corbin, we've been sitting on it uh, as we decided to kind of pivot and kind of center in on some conversations with church leaders around uh, race and the gospel and how we engage in the work of reconciliation um, as the body of Christ. And so, um, yeah, this is a, still a phenomenal uh, conversation. Ruth is an incredible woman, and we're so grateful for her and uh, her perspective on a lot of different things uh, that we touch on in this topic, including uh, some some talk around racial uh, injustice and, and the murder of George Floyd. And so, um yeah, we really hope you enjoy it. Um, it was it was a pleasure to be able to talk with Ruth and and uh, yeah, it's, there's some really good stuff here. So uh, take a listen and enjoy. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Turney and I am Brian Barley, and we are bringing you a new episode of Summit Stories, where we talk with uh, various people connected to the church about their kind of experiences, particularly during uh, this coronavirus pandemic. And today's guest is Ruth Dameron. Yeah, Ruth and her husband, Kirk, are uh, beloved members in the life of the Summit. Um, We love everybody uh, fully and completely, but Kirk and Ruth hold a very special place in our hearts. Ruth is a Renaissance woman, a woman of uh, a wide range of talents, and I feel like uh, this podcast is a real reflection of that. There's even a special treat at the very end. If you listen to the very end, uh, just one of Ruth's many surprising talents are put on display. Uh, but we also wanted to hear from her because we felt like uh, she has a really unique perspective in terms of all that's happening uh, right now as an older member in the life of the summit. And so we wanted to hear some about what it's like to be part of that uh, unique at-risk population because of their age. Wanted to talk some about much of the cultural unrest and response to the gross injustices uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, as well as just what is it like to um, just do life uh, in quarantine. And so um, the conversation goes in a bunch of different places, and we hope it blesses you in a lot of different ways and that you enjoy listening. Hey, Ruth, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, this is cool. We're excited to talk to you. Um, so I want to start with this. I think we've got a lot to talk about, but um, over the past few months for me, I know as kind of things have been shut down and I'm stuck at home, like there have been so many times where I just kind of stop and shake my head and just think like, this is so crazy. Um, and as one of the uh, elder states women uh, within the <laughs> Summit Church, I'm just curious, like, have you ever experienced anything kind of remotely close to what the last few months have been around uh, COVID-19 and, and the, the way it's impacted the entire world, really? I have not directly. I mean, I was quarantined as a child because my brother got sick. Okay. And that's what you did. You quarantined the house. So there's a great big red queue on a cardstock paper on the front door. So nobody came to the door and uh, I didn't get to go to school. So there was that, but it was just our family. Yeah. How Um, long did that last? A couple of weeks, I suppose, because uh, penicillin was a brand new thing for the general public. It had been used in World War II. Okay. And they were trying this 
with him and my parents were a little because it's a brand new drug, you know? But it turned out to be the right thing to do and it worked well, but uh, at any rate, that, so that's my only ex personal experience with the quarantine. My father was born in 1905 and his sister was under two years younger than he. And they lived in Philadelphia. And I remember them telling me about a pandemic, but they didn't use that word. But it must have been the Spanish flu based on their ages. Huh. Because that was 1918, and he would have been 13, and she would have been about 11. And uh, so they're kids. And uh, the horse-drawn hearse apparently had some kind of noise that it made indicate it was coming down your street. Oh my God. And you put some kind of symbol out at your gate if you had a body to pick up. Wow. And when they heard the noise and knew that it, the hearse was coming, they would race each other up the stairs to the end window. Prop, this is, I'm doing this because this is what my aunt did when she was telling me about it. Prop their elbows on the windowsill and look to see where the hearse was going to stop today. So I've heard about sure. the notion of a very widespread illness, um, have not ever felt threatened by the other coronaviruses that are in the sure. big family of them. In, as it pertains to kind of like historical perspectives, I also want to ask the question, we're, we're recording this kind of still in the aftermath of the, the, the death of George Floyd and the protests are going on still and um, uh, let's, give it, let's give an actual day. We're recording okay. midday, June 4th. I feel June like you 4th. have to give that degree of clarification because yeah, the no, world changes so quickly. Even. It so forth, so yeah. quickly. So okay, if anything so happened 4th. on June 5th, we didn't know about it. Yeah. And so, Ruth, um, a lot's happened in your lifetime around racial reconciliation and the civil rights movement, and a lot of ugly things have happened too. And I think here we are again with like the deaths of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and now George Floyd. Um, and it's kind of unquestionably clear that our country still has a really long way to go. And I know like for me personally, I've felt um, kind of bouts of hopelessness of like, man, it's like, is this ever going to change? And I'm just, yeah, I guess I, as I was thinking about this, I just wanted to ask you like with a longer perspective, does it do you feel when these things happen and these tragedies happen do you feel more cynical do you still like feel hopeful because you've kind of seen the long game and um i'm just kind of curious on on how, how that's impacted you in the last i don't years. feel particularly hopeful that this will be resolved in this lifetime yeah i don't mean just my lifetime i mean in this version of the heaven and earth that we live on uh, you remember from my the things I said at the service on Labor Day Sunday, Labor Day weekend Sunday, uh, there's coming a day. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will wipe away all tears, and there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow, and there'll be no more evil. And in the meantime, it will be here. Uh, but I see change. I was in high school in the 60s when a lot of the civil rights was happening and I was raised in a very white part of northeastern Pennsylvania. Over 50% claim Polish heritage and it's just, it's just a very white area. I remember 
seeing marches on television and feeling an empathy, but not understanding the depth. Yeah. I, and also hearing a lot of comments being made by people who thought they understood everything. And right. it just didn't feel right in my gut what they were saying. Uh, then I got to college at Wheaton College, and there was a lot of attempts and emphasis there to get more diversity among the student body at Wheaton right then. If I look back to then, what the middle-class folks I know from the rec center and the grocery store and the book club, but not, not just my church environment, but also church, there has been a lot of change and a lot of growth and a lot of increased understanding. And obviously, nowhere near enough yeah. and nowhere near fast enough. Yeah. So I know God will bring good out of this, and I know that he already is. I get irritated with certain slogans people have that sound spiritual, and one of them is, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I, and what they mean is, I don't know why God's doing this awful, horrible, terrible thing, but there must be a reason. And my perspective is God's not the one doing it. There is evil. And uh, I heard it expressed well uh, in a brief way, but it really touched me. An elderly Jewish man who had survived the Holocaust. And the interviewer asked him, do you still believe in God after what you went through? And he said, of course, how could I not? And she was taken aback and said, well, how could you? How could a good God let, let what happened to you happen? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, from the beginning of human time, God gave, us, God gave humans a choice between good and evil. And he still gives each of us a choice every day. And every time we choose evil, he weeps. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, I would add to that, and he died to enable reconciliation on a more individual level. The dis- nature of the discussion in my city group was very honest where people were saying, I, I thought I was pretty far along. <laughs> and then I asked God to show me my own heart and I began to realize that I didn't really understand. And yeah. so I think right now God is doing a lot of good in, for those who want to understand and I think there are huge numbers. The outrage is around the world, right? And so much good will come of that. And yes, there will still be those who don't get it. A friend of mine asked, how could that, how could that man do, referring to the police officer who sure. killed George Floyd, how could that man do such a thing to, a human, to another human being? And I pointed out to her that there's a possibility he thinks that that person is less than a human being. Yeah. I think that that may or may not get voiced, but I think that there are those who at some level still have a notion that enables them to justify their position, whether they think it's a harmless position or whether they think something like kneeling on the neck of a man until he's dead is okay. I mean, there are people who just don't understand the phrase white privilege. Right. And think that it creates more separation than bonding to attempt to understand it. There are people who are 
far more overtly evil. And I believe God will bring reconciliation to those who desire it. And I see change happening, and I see much more understanding now in our culture than there was in the 60s, which is over 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I, it's just helpful, I think, to just be reminded of that, because especially with social media and things moving so fast, it, it can be overwhelming. And um, yeah, I think um, I was I was watching this uh, video series on Amazon Prime called The Color of Compromise, and I absolutely recommend it. It's this pastor, uh, or the, an author, Jamar Tisby, uh, put it together in the he talked about how he kind of goes through the history of racism and and the church specifically in America. And um, he talks about like, I'm going to be really brutally honest throughout this series. But the thing is like a lot of these things were constructed and anything that man has constructed, we can also deconstruct and kind of tear down. And so um, just kind of referencing um, white supremacy and racism and stuff like that. And so if you go back and look at integrating the school's, when that little girl was escorted by National Guard, I believe. Yeah. And for that, in Georgia, I think, back in the 60s, and for that entire year, she had one teacher, which is one-on-one, just that teacher and her, even though it was inside that school, because the other families would not allow their child to be in the same classroom with that little girl. There's a huge change since then but we still need to ask God to show us our blind spots and open our eyes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. I appreciate you sharing that. So I, Ruth, I think sometimes, you know, when people talk about like, you know, they look like at an issue like racial reconciliation and say, Oh, well people are, you know, are sinful and it's always, it's, it's not gonna be better until Jesus returns and makes all things new. And I think sometimes that's like a, a justification for like passivity or inactivity or not like actually late laboring towards that, you know, just sort of tossing your hands up. Like, obviously that's not a posture you've taken. Even like I think about your work in the jail and kind of choosing a, uh, a sphere of influence and in some ways like a really unlikely sphere of influence to try to be a like a an ambassador of reconciliation um a minister of reconciliation how do you kind of navigate that tension of like in some ways having a life experience to have like a humble awareness of the brokenness of the world but you know a lot of times people use retirement as a justification to be like i'm gonna just do nothing you know sit on the beach and do nothing and you're in the jail working for reconciliation kind of how have you maintained i guess a hope hopefulness in the midst of reality that leads to being willing to take that sort of mm. like choosing to use your 70th year to, to be doing that um One, it didn't occur to me not to be. Uh, (laughs) Part of it is simple obedience. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So I can't. I can't go into all the world. What part of the world can I go into? Where, Where do I find myself strangely drawn? And I find myself drawn towards addicts and homeless and jail. Uh, I also, uh, since my high school time, I parents were very positive towards the organization called Teen Challenge. 
and I, Youth for Christ would have a group from Teen Challenge come once a year and talk, get, tell their stories. And so I know that through the power of God, it is possible for people to be delivered and for people to be set free and for people to have totally changed lives. Uh, when a woman I've been visiting uh, went to prison instead of jail, jail is county misdemeanors, prison is felonies, but what our world calls a felony don't get me started. Uh, some things are serious, but some things, there was a credit card in your pocket and it was somebody else's name on it. But anyway, when you, when this uh, woman was in prison, she was watched, she would attend God Behind Bars on Sunday night. And I believe the local one, the pastor who preached, it's kind of a franchise thing, but that sounds like money's involved, which it isn't, it's a volunteer thing. But the local church, I believe it was Red Rocks that was involved, and one of those pastors would go into the jail and, and preach. And he told a story about a woman who was an addict, and she got pregnant, and she gave birth to the baby, and she knew she couldn't take care of the baby and because of her addictions. And, and she went into a neighborhood that looked nice, and she took the, the baby up, and she asked God to show her where to go and she took the baby up onto a porch and rang the doorbell and ran around behind a shrub and waited and a nice looking couple came out and found the baby and took the baby in who became the adoptive parents of that baby who was the man who was preaching and telling the story so the man who was there at the jail was that baby whose mother was an addict wow. the next week he had a guest who he wanted to introduce to them. It was an older woman. And he said, I'll just let her tell her story. And she was dressed very nicely. And she, uh, she said to them, you remember last week, uh, Pastor so-and-so told you the story of the woman who was an addict and put the baby onto the porch. And Well, I, I was that woman. I'm his mother. I'm his birth mother. And I, so... I've just been aware of those kind of stories over and over yeah. again, that it is possible with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with a desire on their part, it is possible. I also, fundamentally, Jesus told us to go into the world and do good. And that seems like a good thing to do. Uh, and yeah, the numbers are not auspicious as to how many leave that life. And the purpose of the organization that some of us from Summit and a few other places have started up called Side by Side, it's oriented towards uh, reducing and reaching the people who are in the revolving door of once you're in, once you get released from jail, it gets harder to get a job. It's more likely you'll be homeless if homeless, it's more likely you'll be back into drugs, which brings you back into the jail and so on. And so to break that cycle. And I was looking for a way to be involved in such a ministry when Adrian asked me if I might consider being involved in such a ministry. And he had no idea I was looking for it. I had tried for a year to get involved with a different ministry that was oriented towards a similar goal. Um, but also... We can't, I think some of us who've been more successful in life 
get stuck with a curse of perfectionism. Mm. I don't think perfectionism has anything to do with striving for excellence. Striving for excellence, you're going to do the best that you can, realistically. Perfectionism is you have to make it perfect. And if we can't make it perfect, then some just don't want to try. And I think that it's presumptuous of me to decide that I'll try to reach no one or I won't let God reach anyone through me if I can't reach everyone. That It just seems like a bizarre position to take. So out of a sense of obedience to be in the world, the part of the world that I can be, to live the gospel and teach it, to do, you use the phrase, um, the reconciliation is all God's doing. It's all been made possible by him, but he had, the Bible says he has made us the ministers of his reconciliation. So if we refuse that job, then we're unemployed. Yeah, the, you're, that thought about striving for excellence versus perfection, that's really interesting. Uh, and even thinking about like, the millennial generation or whatever it's called like uh just that idea like like we need to change the world we need to do this as big as possible and like if if we can't do something that upends and disrupts and all this kind of stuff then it's not worth doing and I, that's not true <laughs> like the real change happens like it's messy and it's like long yeah. suffering and it's like day in day out kind of grinding and decades long and you want to make an impact okay get get to work and in 20 years maybe everyone who's been wanting to will be and that'll be exciting but it's hard to wait yeah talk a little bit well okay first in full kind of since we're like respectable journalists at this point like I do have to disclose that I'm on the board of directors of side by side but uh Tell us a little bit more because you mentioned the jail um, and like, I mean, if people don't know, like the jails and prisons have been rocked by COVID largely. Um, I mean, it just spreads like crazy. They've released a lot of in, you know, inmates and people that, you know, are involved in all that early. And um, it seems like it's been a little chaotic and, um, but sounds like you've still been doing the work of the ministry <laughs> through side by side so what that's looked like. Uh, let me first of all let me describe why COVID is so rampant in jails the Denver County Jail is not you might picture cells with two to a cell but that's prison Denver County Jail is pods and there might be 20 in a pod with 10 bunk beds in a pod so 20 people towards the back of the room and near the front are steel uh, picnic tables, you know, the, the table and attached benches, four or five of those, and then two TVs. And so those people are in that room sitting at the same tables and there's nowhere to go to, to isolate. Their physical distancing is an absurd concept in that setting. The model side-by-side was using is that I was going into the jail teaching classes that 
are oriented towards a concept called life coaching. So this is not a Bible study. This is not a church service. Life coaching asks thoughtful and provocative questions in it to enable or to help the client think more deeply and more clearly about their own life, about where they are and about where they want to be and about what steps it would take to get from where they are to where they want to be and what, what have they been putting up with or tolerating is our word that uh, is actually hindering them from getting to where they want to be. So we're only interested in the students in the class who are, who want a new life. And so one of we've requested, make sure they don't get any early release jail credit for coming to this course. I don't want someone in here who's just here because they get out three days earlier for coming to the course. Uh, so we had about a six session course and I taught one class for the men and one for the women and they don't let the classes get too big because of there's more of them than me. Uh, I had about six people in the class on March 11th in the men's class and in the women's I had five or six. And then uh, on the 12th, they sent out this notice that we couldn't go in anymore. And I was only three weeks in to that new set of classes. So on the 12th, the next day, when I got the notice from Adrian that we weren't going to be able to go back in, I went back and checked and my email there says, okay, but I want to make a handout for the rest of the classes and the assignments for those people who were in my class, because I feel a responsibility to them. Do you think you could get it to them? And he said, I don't know. They're not answering my calls right now. And uh, I think they're just kind of overwhelmed with everything they have to deal with, but we'll see. Go ahead and, and get it ready. As I began to get it ready, which meant taking my lecture notes, which are more bullets, I know what I'm going to say, and actually fleshing it out and saying it, right. and then sent it off to Adrian around Monday, I think. But when I sat down to do that work, to merge it, I felt the strongest urge to do it for all six classes. And when I get an idea that I don't recognize as my own, I talk to the idea because I presume that was the Lord. And I'm, I, I honestly asked why. And then I didn't get an answer. It was, you ever get the sense that God's standing there with his arms crossed and tapping his toe waiting for you to just get on with it? So we made a, a booklet. I called it the client pre-release curriculum client edition. And uh, we sent it off. Fast forward about a month, I think, and I got an email from Dana, who's also involved in Side by Side, and she said, hey, the director of program sent a scan of uh, completed booklets from the inmates. Do you want to read them? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And when I read their answers, I was really excited. Just, wow. The Holy Spirit must be helping them to understand this material because what they're writing is they're really getting it. When I got through all of them, I thought, it's just that I don't recognize any of those names. So I went back and looked at the roster and nobody in the group she sent me had been in my class and they're working through the book and they're reading the questions oh. and writing the answers. It turns out the director of programs, I'm kind of reading into this a bit, has got no programs. No one can come in. Hmm. 
But we did this. We're a small enough organization. We are able to just decide to do it and do it. We've revised that and made it better now that we realize how they're using it. It's not just going to these six and those six. They offer it to inmates in the jail and the inmates who want it get a copy and they're working through it. Okay. <laughs> and we are reaching more people than we could if we were holding classes because they won't, they limit the size of the class. And then in contacting them after release, which has happened for quite a few, we went from having one or two clients connected with this after release, which is the rest of the program. Yeah. Uh, and now there are eight or more than eight, but those eight came from this last six weeks or so. And so we're having a much bigger impact in the jail. It's a small impact, but we're having a bigger impact in the jail by far by not being there and this document going in and then word of mouth and they're asking for it and they're working through it. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, being around side by side, it's been amazing. Just the, just in the intentionality, the relationship, the, you know, just coming alongside people um, who really haven't like dreamed or hoped beyond their circumstance in a long time and, and to offer them a hand and, and just empower them to, to figure it out on their own to like, Hey, you, you don't have to, you mentioned the cycle before you don't have to be stuck in the cycle. And um, uh, it's cool. And just to think about the legacy that that, that could have as, you know, they well, go back inherent, to the and neighborhoods inherent and in the name of the group side by side. Um, this is an expression we got from someone else, but we like to use it. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is community. Mm. And so we hope to be there to help them to figure out ways to expand that supportive community because they got tons of negative community if they want to yeah. go back to those neighborhoods. Yeah, I'm really grateful for your presence there and, and the work that you do and the passion you have behind it. It's really, really cool. Um, I wanted to talk, you mentioned your daughter, Joy, um, mm -hmm. and um, she's a really amazing woman and she's spent a lot of time around the summit. And um, yeah, I would just like to hear, um, you know, she's, she has some impairments and kind of challenges that she's got. Um, and um, I'm just curious if the, this season of COVID-19 has, has maybe impacted her um, in some unique ways that, that maybe would be helpful for us to understand. Yeah, I think so. Um, being legally blind, I convinced her not to do her own grocery shopping during this COVID time. So because she has to touch too many things when she's shopping. So I'm, when I go to the grocery store, which I have down to once every two weeks, um, I shop for us and I shop for her. Yeah. And, uh, so that's just a logistical thing, but She's also what you call high-functioning autistic or Asperger's or something like that. It's all part of her syndrome, the blindness, the Asperger's, some learning disabilities. Uh, she works full-time. She majored in accounting and has a degree in accounting. Her job is as a budget technician for the federal government, and she's on the computer all day, and she uses software that makes the computer's output auditory instead of visual mm -hmm. with spreadsheets and all sorts of things. Uh, but that's her social life is people, hey, Joy, how's it going? 
And that's about all she really wants because she's autistic. So she doesn't want to call someone and pour out her heart and her emotions. When she was in junior high school, I never had to listen to a junior high girl calling her friends and talking about analyzing every little nuance of who was being who, what to whom. Mm -hmm. It just goes over her head. She doesn't have a social intuition. But everybody has learned, she's been there five years and everybody knows the thing you talk to Joy about is Harry Potter, sports and a few things like that. It's, and she keeps up on what teams they track and she knows how their teams are doing and you know what she's like when you get to sports trivia. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not very deep, but it's human. It's social interaction in her day. And she... They sent her home with a computer with a VPN, virtual private network, and she's doing all her work from home. But now there's no human voices. Right. There's, I think, a weekly meeting that she calls in on. But uh, about two weeks in, she called me and I could hear, you know what I mean when I say she had tears in her voice? Hmm. Uh, sounded like she was on the verge of crying. And she said, now, what actually can I do? Where can I go? And I said, well, you'd have, you might do a lot of walking without results because they might be closed, but uh, various restaurants are staying open and you can get takeout. You can go in and you can order takeout. So if I wanted to go to walk to the mall and go to Noodles and Company, I could, I could do that. Well, I would guess that they are probably still offering takeout. And on the way, you might stop at the other two places. She lives at 13th in Pennsylvania. There's places right there, Pub on Penn and the Tavern, a block away. I just see if they're still open. Or call, if you have a way to call them, call them. Otherwise, just see if they're still open. Just go by when you would be going by there normally and see if they're open or if they shut down. But if they're open, then you can order takeout, and that way you can you can chat with the, those people. So she called me back on her way home from Noodles. That was a Friday. She'd been at this for two weeks. And she said, I walked into the I walked into Noodles and Company and Mars called out, Well, hello, Joy. Good to see you. And that's, you know, that's what she needed. She just needed a tiny bit, even yes. as a, just because she's autistic doesn't mean she hates people. She just has no intuition about how to interact. Mm. She doesn't know how to talk about feelings, but she still needs human connection. And so then I posted on Facebook that if there are people who know that they know her, if they'd consider just giving her a call in the evenings or on the weekends, and she got five or six calls that week. And one of those, a woman from the summit, uh, decided she was going to call her, even though she hadn't really interacted with her much, but she knew of her. And, uh, and it turns out she knew a lot about Harry Potter. So she said, we can talk about that. So, oh, that was the other thing. Joy can't talk to anybody about sports because there's no sports. There's no sports. Oh, we know. <laughs> Yeah. She can't track how anybody's <laughs> team is doing because nobody's teams are playing. So she was just really hurting for a reason to interact with people or a topic to interact with. Anyway, this woman from the church called her. They were going to talk about Harry Potter. Well, then 
I talked to her sometime after that. She said, oh my goodness, does Joy know facts about Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> so now she's actually calling her weekly, and oh, calling awesome. Joy weekly. And I am really grateful to her that she's doing that, that they're talking once a week. And that's, you know, she doesn't need a lot, but she needs some kind of human connection. Yeah. Meanwhile, she is working. She's working from home. And uh, she was trying to walk around the block. She doesn't like to use her cane in her own neighborhood because she knows where all the bumps are. But I said, if you don't have your cane, they're not going to know that you can't see them and they're not going to understand why you're not moving away. And you can't move out into the parkway reliably. She could walk right into a tree. So uh, she'd rather not walk around her block using her cane. And finally, she decided she didn't want to lose her ability to do the stairs. She does walk a lot, but she works on the 12th floor of a building at the Federal Center in, out in Lakewood. And she was, she, she takes the stairs to get to her office. Oh, wow. so, so she decided that she was going, that was going to be her exercise was the outdoor stairs from her deck to the alley. She's on the third floor. It was 40 some steps. So she does 25 round trips a day. That's, uh, that's impressive. That's good. <laughs> she does like four round trips in the morning to wake, kind of get, uh -huh. get her braid going and four in the mid morning to, for a break and eight at lunchtime and, and so on. Anyway, she gets up to, <laughs> that's great. It's like she's on the third floor, but the alley's a lower level than the first floor. So it's like climbing four flights of stairs mm -hmm. multiple times and go back down and go back. Well, that's cool. Um, cool. Thanks for sharing about that. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're grateful for your family and, um, just the, just your wisdom and, uh, the impact you have on our church and, and the leadership you, you guys have. Um, I know, uh, as we've been doing this, you've been sitting, we're, we're on a zoom call and you've got your harp right next to you in the frame. Um, and I think you wanted to share, um, a little, a little something with us. I'd like to play a piece that's written by a Frenchman. It's called Prière, which is French for prayer. And if I play it well, there should be quite a range of emotions. And I would suggest that people just meditate and allow the Holy Spirit to pray for them as he promises to do when we don't know how to pray. And there's a lot going on right now that we don't know how to pray. Yeah. So that's what I would, I'd like to play that for you.
Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ruth. Uh, I know you can't bring your harp to church uh, because it's too big for your car, but definitely look forward to the day when uh, we can we can have you leading us in worship again. And uh, and you're going to say, wait for the day you have a bigger car. <laughs> oh, yeah, or that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, and thanks for for the time, Ruth. Really appreciate you and um, appreciate what you had to say. And um, yeah, thank you. Be well. Thanks, Ruth.